This is Do Good and Do Well with me, Sarah Fox, the podcast where we explore how you can help make positive change in the world without losing yourself. Hi everyone and welcome to season three of Do Good and Do Well, how to be a change maker without losing yourself. You're listening to episode 32 and I am your host, Sarah Fox. I'm a coach, sometimes mentor, mum of two and a recovering people pleaser. This podcast is here to explore the many themes related to change making, to doing good and how we do that without breaking and falling down. But as you'll hear in today's episode, we do fall down and we do break. It's also about how we get back up again. I'm going to add a new feature this season and that is Sarah's suggestion and I feel like I need some fancy audio to go with that but each week I am going to bring you a small tip that I've learnt myself or I've heard from people around me that will help you to do good and do well. So my first ever top tip is around this idea of grounding People talk about it quite a lot and I find it hugely beneficial. So when we get overwhelmed or overcome with emotion, whether we're at home or at work, a really good, useful, helpful thing to do is find the ground. Put your feet on the floor, take a deep breath And connect with the ground when you're frustrated or furious or sad. If you're in a Zoom meeting or you're face to face, this is great because no one needs to know what you're doing. Find the floor, find your feet, find your breath and allow that to help you calm your nervous system and create more space to remind yourself where you are and to get present about where you are. In this episode, I am talking to the wonderful Ella Jarman Pinto. Ella is a critically acclaimed film, TV and concert composer with a multi-award winning short film under her belt and repeat commissions from BBC Radio 3. She runs a successful, brilliant podcast, which I totally recommend, called Beyond the Chameleon. And her work involves helping film and TV directors to anchor their work in an audience's mind by creating memorable and emotive music to fit their vision. I really loved this conversation because it felt like a good chat down the pub with a friend. Those conversations where you move from tragedy to comedy, where there's real deep thinking and then there's lightness and joy. We cover a whole range of themes and bounce from one thing to another. So I really hope that you find something that resonates. Please note that in this episode, we do touch upon baby loss and having suicidal thoughts. 
Good morning, Ella. Welcome to the Do Good and Do Well podcast. How are you today? Uh, I'm just really excited to be here. I haven't recorded a podcast for a while and I just, I think what I love about it is just the conversation. <laughs> I get to have a good chat. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm really excited. Oh, brilliant. I know, I know. I know. There was such rich stuff, wasn't there, even when we weren't recording. Mm. So we're going to see if we can come back to that. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so brilliant to have you here and um, to have you as the first guest of uh, season three. I can't believe I've done oh, three cool. seasons. Um, well, I haven't that done, is incredible. I haven't done that yet, but yeah, yeah, it's cool. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> For the listeners, it's Monday morning. The first week of school was last week, so we're sort of feeling like we're getting back into the swing of things. I don't know if you feel yeah. like that as well. It's very, yeah, it's very much like my head is not in the game at all. <laughs> at all like I, I I am saying to with goal setting and things like that it's like I'm just going slow yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna try and achieve one thing every day yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one thing is small I, I think that's a really good idea and I have a feeling that I might be a host that keeps thinking oh what's the word you know you know that thing yeah that thing on that day I might be a bit <laughs> like that today <laughs> That's fine. That's me too. <laughs> Ella, what would you like people to know about you? I am a film, TV and concert composer. And I work with people who are looking to put out good through the, the, the media that they bring out or the in terms of concert, in terms of, you know, the, the music that they want to um, commission. And, and it, it could be a myriad of ways. It can be behind the camera where you're making sure that you've got really inclusive practices going on. It could be in front of the camera with inclusive cast, with uh, storylines that aren't just the normal narrative character arc. It could be documentaries. I'm looking to work with people who are trying to break the mould in order to find a better future for our children. Mm. And then my part in that as a composer is to add that extra layer and to be inspired by your ethos. So I'm very much when I'm talking to a director, you know, they'll say to me, how do we how do we do this? And it's like, well, I, I, I don't ask you what kind of music you, you like. It's not about that. I'm asking you your hopes, your dreams. What does this project represent to you? What does it look like if it's successful for you? Um, and what do you want to achieve? And what do you not want to achieve? And then from that, like, usually I have these really long conversations and they're great. And by the end of it, I have no words left because the music is just going around <sighs> my head. And that's that's just a lovely way of then bringing this person who has got this big idea and bringing their ideas into music through me. So I'm a channel. And then essentially accompanying what they're doing and highlighting what they're doing was music that has just been created from their vision and inspired directly by them. And I used to have this thing of, oh, I'm just a composer. What's little old me going to do? You know, how, how am I going to be helpful? And how, who am I to demand this from my clients? Who am I to demand that I work with people who want to break the mold and who want to, you know, stick two fingers up at the patriarchy and who want to make sure they're inclusive? Like, who am I to demand that? And I think actually that's how you change your little bit of your world. You demand what you want and you, you work with the people who fit that. And everybody who is working in whatever industry you're working in should 
be demanding what is right for you and for your children and for the future. This this whole phrase of just that's just how it's done. Mm. You go fuck off, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially in the creative industry. You know, in especially that, yeah. in the creative industry, yeah. and and especially in you know, and especially in film and and this 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 way of thinking for me is is a long time coming. I'm not I'm not I'm not a real kind of abrasive. Oh, yeah, I can be abrasive, but I'm not an abrasive <laughs> person. I'm I am a people pleaser. In my music, I want to get it right. I want people to feel like they've they've invested in me and they've made the right decision that they get the music they really really want and so it's not this oh if you don't if you don't agree with me then that's wrong it's this thing of we might not agree on the method but we we both want the same thing in the end and we will work together to get there and yeah it's not an easy thing to kind of come to but i think it was for me it's it's this there's a whole load of research that's come out recently that basically shows that I haven't got a hope in hell in being successful as a composer because I'm female and I'm black and I'm a mother and I don't live in Hollywood and I don't <laughs> live in London. <laughs> but regardless of my talent, regardless of how good I am, and I think I'm pretty good, yeah. regardless of that, I haven't got a I haven't got a chance because there are so many things that get in the way because of this phrase, well, that's just how it's done. So for me, I'm looking for people who can see the cage that we live in and who are like, now let's just take down some bars, squeeze through some holes, mm. get some other people who can break those bars and create something that's a bit more flexible, something that is more inclusive, something that works for more people. It's It's getting rid of this sense of everyone apart from this very narrow standard of normal no one really if you talk to everyone as an individual they know no one feels normal so why do we have this thing of well we've got to stay to the normal because that's what sells it's like actually sod it do something else yeah, <laughs> yeah. find something else anyway so that's yeah. that's <laughs> Ooh, I, love I haven't that. talked to someone for a while <laughs> Bible diarrhea. <laughs> you know when when I introduced the podcast to you earlier, you know, I was saying that partly this is about talking about the structures and the systems that exist that stop doing well. You know, that really kind of put a, put people in a very difficult position, and it's also about individual responsibility and what part we play in that. And I think listening to you and and you talking about. I don't I I want to work with people who see the cage and know that it's possible to do something with that cage, break it, yes. beat it down, <clears throat> like find a way bend out. Bend it even. Bend it, yeah, and hearing the passion in your your voice, you know, it's like it it this is so important to you, isn't it? And it's so important. And I wonder so was there a moment for you when you thought okay it's it's more than composing it's like there's a bigger thing that I need to be part of here um yes there was a moment and it was a long time coming I've always been brought up a feminist my mum my mum is amazing and (laughs) she's absolutely amazing and if I can do even the small things that she has done then I'll be happy um but she 
all the way taught me about this cage and she's all the way taught me about different ways of looking at it and different ways of uh, finding our way around it. And it was a big shock when I went to university and realized that other people couldn't see the cage. <laughs> and I was like, but it's right there. And they're like, what, what cage? And, and actually I felt, I, I was almost like I felt cowed back, back into it. People had quite visceral reactions to me suggesting that there was even something in place. And I'm like, but can you not feel it in the way that you're being talked to and the way that you're being spoken to? I mean, I had one male composer uh, student colleague of mine who turned to me and said here can you fold my trousers you'll you'll be good at this and because I was so cowed at that point I was really not in a good place I just took it and I folded his trousers and another male student colleague next to me he was just like Ella what are you doing he can fold his own trousers <laughs> and I but I'd, I'd lost all fight at that point I didn't know where I was I didn't know how to even as I'm speaking like I'm like my shoulders are rising and I'm feeling like I'm concaving in and I, I had an amazing education at university but socially it was really quite damaging and it took me a long time to recover from that so it meant that when I had my kids I just threw myself into being a mother and I was like I just want to be a mother I don't want to bother working I don't want to fight I don't want to be against the rat race I literally ran away from it moved away from London I, I moved back into kind of composing and doing stuff for myself and finding myself again when I lost my first baby and then my other children helped me on that journey. And then it got to the point where I realised I was unhappy because I felt like I wasn't fulfilling any of my potential. I spent all this money on being a composer and I'm barely a composer at all. And I was teaching an instrument to 150 kids a week that I didn't even play myself. But I was teaching it, you know, I can teach well. Um, <laughs> like they got a good education from me. But it was like, <laughs> I barely touched the instrument since. And I was just like, what am I doing? Where am I going? Why have I just given up and decided that this is my life because this is how I earn money? You can't earn money from composing. You can only earn money from teaching as a musician. And you have to give yourself to teaching. And I, I really strongly ascribe to this feeling of if you are a teacher and you no longer enjoy it, you should stop. For me, it's like, I don't, I don't care who you are and I don't care how long you've been teaching or when you realise that you don't enjoy it anymore. You, you might not even realise you hate it, but at that point, you need to stop because what else then are you teaching? You have to be someone who is totally engaged and therefore have to take breaks because you can't be totally engaged all the time. So I, I got to this point when my third daughter was about to be born. I was really quite ill in the pregnancy and I just went, not doing this anymore. <laughs> like, burned all my guitars. I didn't, but in my head, I burned all my guitars. <laughs> and, you know, I just went, no, never, never teaching this ever again. And I'm just going to do composition. And um, from there, I fell into singing teaching because I still didn't have the guts to do it. So it was this kind of long winded process of slowly moving forwards to what I wanted to do mm. and very much feeling like, I want to do it, but I don't know how I can justify myself doing what I want to do because it will take a lot from my family because I will not earn money to start with. Anyway, long story short, I eventually managed to justify it when my husband decided to do a, a full-time two-year master's degree in a different country, <laughs> <laughs> leaving me to be the main primary carer and look after my kids without... <laughs> 
And I was like, you know what? This is the time. I'm going to do it now. <laughs> if we're jumping, we might as well yeah. both jump. But I didn't really ever find my purpose and my passion until I think it was the first lot of research I saw about the stats of women in film music. And it's something like 1% of films have female composers. And it has changed in the last two years. But it's still low. I mean, we're coming from 1%. We're not going yeah. from like 30%. We're <laughs> from 1%. And that came along just at the same time as Black Lives Matter. The Black Lives Matter movement was propelled again into the general public through George Floyd's death. And to be honest, murder, we could say now, George Floyd's murder, and also the murder of Breonna Taylor, for me, that hit me harder. Not that any death should hit you any less hard at all, but for me, it's there's still this thing of something like a week before George Floyd was murdered, Breonna Taylor was murdered in her bed by police. She was a nurse, you know, like, and she was a woman. And and her death for me, I feel like I need to mention her name more because she is like so many other women who get forgotten. So you have that intersectionality of racism plus fem plus um, plus sexism. For me, I, I want to remember her. And I know there are other women whose names I haven't remembered, but like she has stuck with me and she is where a lot of my passion has come from. That was when I decided, okay, this is this is what I'm interested in. And anyone who doesn't agree, then you're not my people. You're not my people because if you don't agree in Black Lives Matter, if you don't agree in in learning and educating yourself and then holding your hands up and making mistakes and go, oh, goodness me, I made such a big mistake. I'm so sorry. I And I will go off and educate myself. Don't tell me how I did it. You could tell me how I hurt you, but you don't you're not you're not responsible for telling me how to move forwards. I can go and research that myself. Those are the kind of people I want to work with. And I think it's so easy to think that you are liberal and forward thinking, but get stuck in that feeling of, oh, I'm liberal and forward thinking, therefore everything's okay and I don't yeah. do it wrong. Yeah. So that's how my podcast was born. My podcast looks at belonging, very much inspired by Brene Brown. I love Brene. Her... <laughs> oh, she's so amazing. I'd she's like her to so be my amazing. friend. <laughs> Me too. I want her on my podcast. I'm too scared to ask. <laughs> But I think I will. Yes. <laughs> we'll That's that your goes. goal. That's your goal. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> Brene Brown, Michaela Cole, Hans Zimmer. Those are the people I want my podcast. <laughs> um, anyway, putting it out to the universe. So looking at belonging as in it's a constant. It's not yeah. ascribing yourself to one set of politics, another set of politics. Obviously, the politicians we have currently are not doing the work it's that looking at yourself constantly churning it over belonging do I feel like I belong do I feel comfortable in my own skin because only when we're comfortable in our own skin can we therefore be curious about other people mm. and if we're not comfortable in our own skin and people come up to us and say what you did hurt me then that's a horrible trigger point and if you're not comfortable you might need to go well I don't care but actually if you are comfortable in your own skin it might take a few days to go off and be like oh, I need to work through some feelings about mm. this and then come back and go I'm really sorry I didn't mean to hurt you mm. I need to do some work obviously and I'm, I'm, and I, I'm coming at this from somebody who 
I'm not, you know, I, I yes, I've said I'm a black female composer and I'm a mo mother. Um, and I think those three things are quite important together. That doesn't then mean that I feel like I'm righteous. It's just that I notice the ways that society is skewed against me and other women like me and other people like me. And that also means that then I can see the way that society is skewed against other people who I have no way of relating to. I can try and empathise with them, but I have no connection. So, for example, I'm a cisgendered woman. I don't know what it's like to be trans. Therefore, I cannot make that story my own. But what I can do is I can go, hey, I know what it's like to experience oppression. I also know what it's like to experience privilege. How can I therefore use those two experiences to have my arms wide open to people who therefore are struggling and who need the benefit of what privilege I have? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, that's where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose one of the mm. things that really uh, resonated with me, I mean, there's lots, but that sense of curiosity, being able to get curious about self and ask the question, what can I do to help? What can I do to contribute positively? But kind of going and doing that work yourself as opposed to going mm. and asking the question. And also, there, for want of a better word, I know this is a bit X-factory, but your journey, your journey into this, mm. into what you're doing now is that There's a sense of you, and tell me if I'm wrong, but sort of developing your self-compassion and believing that you have something to say and you are going to say it. And it's really important that you're going to say it. I think for so many people, someone who is leading change, there is that sense of who's going to listen to me? What have I got to say? I'm just... You know, I think it. Yeah. I think it. Why would do I do this podcast? Who's going to listen? I'm just Sarah from, you know, working class, blah, blah, blah. Who am I? Yeah, I've got mm. my experiences, but who's going to listen to that? And I think part of that, we've been trained in that way because it then keeps us small. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, hearing you, you know what you're doing you are you've got something important to say and yes we all make mistakes but let's be let's have a self-compassion about that let's talk to ourselves nicely about that so that then we can we can move ourselves forward mm. so I think yeah for me it was that it was well there's lots but that sort of curiosity piece and the self-compassion the self-belief piece that feels like that's pushing you forward yeah, I mean, the self-compassion is something that I preach but cannot, I can, I've got to have self-compassion here, um, that I preach but I struggle with. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to be completely honest, actually. In May, one day I went, like, one day I went for a run and I felt very strange and I was like, oh, something's not quite right. I went back home and the next day I woke up and I barely could move. And as it went on, as the time moved on, and, you know, it was a quite a serious illness, it was quite serious um, physical, physical exhaustion, unable to move, unable to take care of my kids. I lived with my mum for six weeks to try and recover. 
the more I come out of it, the more I recognise that actually it was a nervous breakdown. It was that my nerves were so, my nervous system was so filled with, so filled with anxiety and all this emotion that just hadn't been released because I've just like, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And and like it was beyond burnout. You know, I've experienced burnout and it, this was something more than I've ever experienced in my life. It was just a complete physical manifestation of what was going in my head and to the point of feeling suicidal and needing help and needing to ring crisis support and ringing friends to be like I don't feel safe right now I don't trust myself um and coming out of that it's this realization of there's just I feel no self-compassion it's these things that you know everyone grows up with and I'm not saying this to go oh where is me I'm saying it that I've a lot of the stuff that I'm saying is because I'm having to learn it Mm, and I'm having to learn it and I'm having to embed it deeply in my subconscious and kick out those poisonous voices Mm. that just have been, I'm like, I'm going to do it anyway. And they're like, we're going to tear you down. and (laughs) Tear me down. They did. Cause I, I, you know, I pushed against it so much. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe in myself, but I faked believing in myself so much that my subconscious just went, nah, can't deal with this anymore. And now I'm having to actually try and believe in myself. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, so it is it is this thing of when I talk about belonging, I'm learning at the same time I'm not preaching. Yeah. When I talk about curiosity, curiosity is a new thing for me because I had this incredible experience recently. I was really, really fortunate to be uh, selected as uh, onto the World Plum Arts Residency at the Red House, which is Benjamin Britten's house, essentially, <laughs> where he composed. And we stayed in a little cottage, and I was with this incredible poet, Joe Brandon. We've been friends for such a long time, but we've never stayed together. And the the nurturing environment and the beautiful balancing act between me and Joe living together and just a week of being able to be creative but also there was no pressure for us to make anything or to finish anything it was very much here is your time we give you a space and a time and here is your time and we value you as people and whatever you create from that is up to you but we value you as people for this amount of time and like beautiful food and I've never not I've never felt so nurtured because obviously you do have that in your childhood and stuff but like it hasn't I haven't it was like the feeling of being valued without having to give back. So as a mother, you're valued, but you're valued because <laughs> you're so important. You have to give back. As a composer, you're valued, but you've got to give something yeah. for it. When you are working with someone and you're paying them, you're valued, but you're paying them for their time. When you're married to someone, you're valued for what you can give to them and what they can give to you. Whereas with this, it was this total bubble of, being just valued for me and me only and nothing else Mm. and it was so eye-opening and so life-changing and I realized that I was able to be really curious about other people and I I realized I had a real block we were sitting and talking to people and I was sat there going I don't want to talk to anyone I don't want to ask any questions and then I had wonderful Joe Brandon being so wonderful and positive and I was like oh I can be like that (laughs) I can I can take some of her joy and some of her curiosity and it's safe. I could be curious. And in exploring that when I came home, 
because it's obviously it's a bump when you come home from something like that um you know as much as I love love my family and my family love me okay, you know you're back into mum mode yeah. hyperstimulation <laughs> here we go oh yeah <laughs> kids screaming because you've been away for a week it was very much a case of I had to really work through it I had to work through this feeling that I had there and be like so how can I have that here mm. and a really good friend someone I'm working with actually pointed something out to me and she just said Ella you felt human you felt nourished as a human and as a person without having to give anything you felt nourished someone someone cared for you or cared about you in a way that I want you to feel that way all the time she's I want for you that you feel that way all the time and I was like oh I could feel that way all the time. And it's not about my husband making me loads of meals and yeah. me just sitting down and letting, you know, being creative. And it's not about that at all. It's about me wanting it for myself and feeling that I deserve that for myself. And then yeah. organizing my environment so that I get what I need and I give what other people need rather than just give, 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 give. So it is very much a case of learning working my way through making mistakes you know I make mistakes with my kids all the time make mistakes with my husband all the time I'm here on a you know podcast preaching about belonging and then my husband comes and talks to me and I'm like I don't care how you feel right now you know <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh I didn't get that right yeah. I'm really sorry I can't talk anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know it, it is I think it's just it's about it's about really looking at looking at yourself and it's hard it's hard work yeah. and sometimes I get it, tired sometimes I'm like I don't want to do this anymore but no I, I totally you know. get that and Ella thank you so much for sharing that they're not easy things to talk about and I think they're so important for us to be more transparent especially in this mm. world of change making because it it is hard you're giving we give of ourselves you all listening give of your of yourselves so much and mm. I know from my perspective that since training to be a coach and going on this personal development journey and having to understand sort of what's happened in the past and how that affects future and my beliefs and how that stops me and some of it, it's not easy stuff, is it? You're having to really look at yourself in detail and you're right, it's learning all the time. Like, I don't think this work is ever going to end. I think we'll constantly no. be learning and I really hope that this podcast doesn't yeah come across as preachy you should be doing this because actually we're all trying to we're all trying to figure it out and mm. really tap into what's gonna what's gonna create a life where we feel really proud of what we've done we've left a legacy and we've nourished ourselves in the process your point about it's not about my husband doing things, it's not about my kids doing things, it's not. It's actually about what I do, it's the space that I create, it's how I nourish myself and how I really think I'm worthy. And you are, you're priceless. You're a priceless human being. We forget that. Um, mm. We all forget it. It, it, it. And it takes work to have that relationship with self because when you are... I think I know that I do better work when I'm kinder to myself. Yeah. When I yeah. treat myself well and ethically well. Mm. When we're doing this kind of work, 
we have to be awake. We have to be awake as to what we need. Because our bodies do, don't they? Well, you know, in your instance, your body responded and yeah. said, uh uh-uh. <laughs> Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I, I gave you all the energy I could possibly do and now I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got yeah. I think there are levels and I think there are layers and we're sold this new level of wellness. So mm. previously it was you don't need wellness, you're fine. You're a mother, you're a woman, you can do everything, you multitask, you're responsible for everything. That's your job. That's your job. Um now it's now it's a case of of course, things are hard. You need to look after yourself. Come and do this. Come and do that. Spend money here. Spend money yeah. there, which is fine. You know, it's fine. I really feel like that has a place. Um, uh, but then I think there's the level beneath that. Then you've got people who go, oh, I could do that, but I can't afford it. Or I could do that, but my partner says that I shouldn't do it. Or I could do that, but my kids would never allow me, or I could do that. There's that kind of level with all the excuses of why all the reasons why other people won't let you do what you need to do. And then you come down to the next level where you go, I could do that, but actually I don't believe in myself enough to do it. (laughs) And that's, that's sort of the next level to get to. Um, And I think I've delved down past all of these excuses and all of these things, and I'm calling them excuses on my behalf, not for anyone else. Mm But for myself, I've, you know, managed to dig deep enough that I'm like, oh, no, it's just me. I feel like I'm fighting against everyone and everything, but actually I'm just fighting against myself. It's just me. There's mm-hmm. there's no one. You know, yes, my husband might at times disagree with something because I've sprung it on him or I've, you know, for example, I'm saying I want more input in the food. So instead of sitting down and going, I'm going to have more input in the food shop, um, I say, oh, are you going to go to the shop and can you buy something that I want? You know? <laughs> Are going to rise. <laughs> so it's like, I could say, oh, he doesn't want me to, you know, get anything I want to eat. Or I could just be like, well, I'm still fighting against myself. I could do it in a better way. I have control. I take responsibility. Mm. <laughs> and then you go the next level down, which is, I could do that, but I don't want to. Mm. And that's okay. Yeah. Or I could do that, but I'm a bit tired today. I'm going to rest. That's okay. Mm. And so you've got to get through all of these different layers that we are so entrenched in, so entrenched in. And I don't think it's just women. I think, you know, I know many men who are victims of their time in terms of don't cry, don't do this, don't do that. I think it's I think it's humanity in general. Mm. I really want to bring up this this um, thing of a human and giver that I I've been looking at recently and it's it's on a Brene Brown episode it's the burnout episode <laughs> but the burnout episode with the Nagoski sisters they bring up this concept of human and giver and humans are supposed to go out and be the best that they could possibly be and they change the world and they're artistic or they're creative they're inventive they do this and they do that and their job is to be human and to be the best that the human race can <laughs> be and and then you have givers and their job is to look after the humans and is to give to the humans so the givers aren't humans their job is just to to give and in the way that the patriarchy has set this up men are humans and women are givers i know that 
there has been research that actually hierarchy happens in whatever relationship you're in, or it can be within parents, or it could be you have these relationships of humans and givers, like nurses are givers in the society. It's why they're not paid enough. Yeah. It's why they are overworked. Nurses are givers. Carers, minimum wage payment. They're having the biggest hike at the moment. They're going to be the ones who are hit the most by this new tax hike. They're givers in society because that's their job, to give. Regardless of genders in, in those instances, you have this setup of human and givers, human and givers, human and givers. And even if you try and break out of that giver experience, you've still got the giver guilt because you're going... I should be giving to another human, but actually I want to be human. So society is telling you, you need to be giver. And you're like, but I'm human. I want to be human too. So you're then having to deal with this horrible feeling of not doing what you're supposed to do yeah. and breaking the mold. And it's it's terrifying. But this is also where you get the ex example that was used in the burnout episode with Emily and Amelia Nagoski was you have white women who then have black or Latinx domestic help, who then they're like, okay, you're my giver. I'm your human. And you get that racism or you get that um, classism coming down. So it's, it's everyone finds their own way of being human. And in order to do that, you trample somebody else. So I think it's a really interesting, I think it's a really interesting idea of this human and giver and it's like who are you and who do you want to be what does it mean for you thinking about yourself your business your mission over the next couple of years what does that mean for you i mean i have huge giver guilt <laughs> i really yeah. do and mainly because i was brought up to be human my mum's a feminist i was brought up to be a human and then it really feels like society has gone, no, know your place, know your place, you're not human. And I'm really fortunate to be with this incredible man who I married. I mean, I've, I went down totally the route I didn't expect to go down. I was like, I'm going to be a single parent. I'm going to be like my mum. I'm going to be totally out of the system. And then I married him and I had an existential crisis being like, I've like, I've sold my soul and I've got married. And I and now I'm like, oh, it's great. But, um, <laughs> but I really did, really did struggle with it. Um, you know, so I married this incredible man who, who is so caring and he, he's a giver. And he, he's been brought up and he's, he's a giver. He, that's what he loves to do. But he is also human because he's a man and he's been told he's got to be human. So we, we definitely are about finding the balance between human and giver and there have been times when my kids were were young and I was giving to them the whole time I was just looking after them all the time and I I remember turning to him and saying do you want me to judge you by all the other men and all the other fathers I know or do you want me to judge you by how I think you should be and he was like, well, of course, judge me by how you think I should be. And I was like, well, you need to step up. <laughs> because, you know, in relation to all these other men, you're doing great. But in my relationship, I'm not happy. <laughs> you have to step up. And he did. That was us going, well, you working is a job and me childcaring is a job. So when we come home, domestic tasks have to be decided between us. It's not my job. Mm -hmm. I'm not 
as the mother coming home and doing all the cooking. It's not, it's not happening. I don't like cooking. It's not going to happen. Because of all these other things with him studying, it's now been that actually he does more domestic stuff and I'm the one who's trying to keep the money coming in. And then, you know, he's coming to me and going, you don't do enough housework. I feel like you 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 take me for granted. And, and, and I'm like, oh God, I should be a giver. I'm a human. I should be a giver. I'm a terrible wife. I'm a terrible mother. It's just, you know, and, and it's right. I have to redress the balance. It's so, you know, yeah. I was brought up to be human. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, the giver guilt is huge. Uh, it's really huge. Yeah. Well, I think also add to the mix of that is that when people are giving and helping, that, that sends very, very positive hormones through your body. You get the helpers high. Mm. So, mm. you know, it, it's that kind of, well, I quite, you know, in a way I quite like giving. I like, I like doing that. I like looking after my kids. I like cooking good meals. I like, well, actually, I'm never going to like housework. Let's let's just put that out there now. Um, but you know what? It's that. It's not the housework, but I like, uh, yeah, creating a nice home for my family. Mm. It makes me feel good. I think it's that. Well, hang on a minute. Where is that balance? And mm. I was talking to a, a friend the other day, and I was saying that I really wish at school or somewhere someone had taught me how to communicate properly with other human beings yes. like to be able to yes. assert my needs in a way that is kindly and like confidently mm. and you know assertively like you know, my husband and I have been together 20 years this this year and we're still learning how to yeah how to do that and you know I mean he's pretty good at it but I'm still bit rubbish I have to say when you know like I, I I'm feeling a bit resentful because I feel like I'm not listened to but actually when I look at it I well like, Sarah you're not actually saying what you need <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're not come on it, Sarah you've got to actually yeah. say it out loud he's not a mind reader and the, yeah. you know learning to be able to just yeah it's a human thing isn't it I think it, that's mm. a human behavior to be able to just say mm. I am this person who needs this right now yes. and I might not be able to get it immediately there might be some negotiation but if I don't say it how is anyone ever going to know what it is I need yeah absolutely yeah and you know certainly as as women I mean I'm hoping the next generation of girls won't be like this but I certainly my intergenerational learning as a woman from my strand of family is to manipulate men in order to get what you need because you can't ask outright because that's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So certainly this passive aggressive way of working that people, you know, it's it, well, it's how certainly in the Western world, women got what they needed and where they possibly could. Well, if you just put it in a way that makes him feel like it's his idea, you know, it's that, <laughs> that sense of, Yes. passive aggressiveness God. you know and manipulation <laughs> in order to get what you want and it means that it's just so hard to say what you need want out loud because you've not been taught that it's okay you've been taught you have to be really yeah. you know subtle for example you know not being able to communicate what you need I think starts really young it's like yeah. when and I've done this I'm not this is not a judging thing but when your kid falls over and you pick them up and you go, you're okay, you're okay. It's like your kid's crying. It's not okay. They fall over, bang the knee, it bloody hurts. It's not okay. <laughs> you know? And I know what we're trying to say in that sense is, yeah. I've got you. I'm here. I have got you. But then how is that being received? And a good example 
is of birth trauma. I know so many people who have had birth trauma. I've had birth trauma. So many people who've experienced birth trauma. And what it happens to them is people say, well, at least your baby's alive and you're fine. It's like, but I'm not fine. And actually, if I'm not fine, my baby's not going to be fine because the person who's got to care for the baby is me. It's that dismissal, this constant dismissal of our needs and what we need and what we're asking for. After my baby died, I, I had to push like hell to get back in the system to work out what happened. I had to push like hell. I even had to make a complaint about our local NHS counselling service because when I asked for help and they said, well, what do you need? And I said, what I need is she's like, oh, we don't do that. You should go to this place. And it was like, no, your job is to help me. And and she she, there was a whole thing where she tried to make it like I'd made the mistake and everything was fine. And I had to go back to my doctor and advocate for myself and my future mental health options because she made it as if I was wasting time. Um, and my doctor made a complaint on my behalf. You know, so it's this, it's this constant denial of what you need over and over again, even on small levels. Like I say, I really want to eat this. And people go, you shouldn't eat that, make you fat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really craving chocolate. Don't eat chocolate, make you fat. It's like, oh, I really need some sleep. Don't get any more sleep, drink coffee. There's this constant, constant denial of our needs as people, and I say women because that's my experience, but as people, mm. constant denial of our needs. Yeah. Men want more time home with their kids. They don't get it because they've only got two weeks thing. And well, isn't your wife at home? Isn't your partner at home? Why do you need to look after the kids? Oh, it's just, it's nonstop. And I think, I think school is a big part of that. You listen to the teacher and if you don't listen to the teacher, you're naughty. You're naughty. If you don't get your work done t- in time, you're distracted and you're not doing what you need to be doing rather than looking at it like, oh, this little girl has ADHD and she needs to be outside and jumping around and running around, rather than sitting down and just, like, writing. That's not in something she can deal with. But instead, she's labelled as naughty. I think the school does the opposite, personally. I think, you know, we have wonderful, wonderful... I know I'm quite out there, but <laughs> in terms of my my thinking, we have wonderful people, we have wonderful teachers, we have wonderful schools but it's the system the system of our society is to just go your needs aren't important your needs aren't important supposedly I, we look after you as a society but actually that system is breaking down so much that sometimes you do have to go to the individual and yeah it's mm-hmm. it's yeah sorry again ranting <laughs> no I don't apologize because I think These are conversations that need to be had and need to be heard. What does do good and do well mean for you? Do good and do well. I think it's just about doing your best and not saying, well, I did my best, therefore it should be okay. Just saying, I did my best. And for me, I did my best and... It might have been better. It could be better next time. But that kind of self-awareness, self-kindness, you can't start from a place if you're not kind to yourself. As much as you try, Mm. you have to have self-kindness, self-awareness, setting boundaries. Boundaries are so important. Within boundaries, you can play. You could be playful if you have boundaries because then you're not going to accidentally step on toes or, um, you know, and setting boundaries for other people. Um, being really clear about what you need so that other people don't piss you off. I think I think that's really important, that do good and it starts with yourself and then 
you could be genuine and authentic with other people and uh, authentic's a buzzword now but you could be really truthful and it could be it can come from your gut rather than come from your chest or from your head or from you it feels like your interactions with people is gut led mm. um yeah and that reminds mm. me <laughs> of that self-censoring conversation we had at the beginning we were talking about whether swearing on podcasts is is yeah. appropriate and then I said oh actually no I don't tend to swear I am able to self-censor quite um quickly you know particularly working with children although I have to say recently mm. my swearing under my breath has become very bad <laughs> <laughs> there have been a few moments this summer <laughs> when the children <laughs> did hear the whisper anyway anyway it is how how often we self-censor when we because we we don't feel we can be our authentic selves our true selves whatever you know word yeah. works for you hearing you speak Ella, it it feels like some of that self-censoring let's use a brené word armor perhaps is mm. coming is coming off a little bit I feel like it's a dam and it's flowing free. <laughs> and the dam is there. The water is still very, very, very rough and very, you know, it will wash people away. Like, I'm like, I'm free. <laughs> I do. I do get accused quite a lot, mainly from my poor husband, of just being like, well, when you talk to me, you just keep going. <laughs> and I don't have any time to like understand any of it <laughs> no but you should understand what I'm saying because it's so important because I've finally been able to say it like can you give me a bit of time you need to work a life jacket <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah and um because because the dam is broken or because I've managed to overflow this dam any time he says something like that to me I'm like you're just trying to build my dam back up <laughs> and it's <laughs> It's like, no, I, no, I'm not trying to build your dam back up. I just need you to take me on the journey rather than wash me away. So, um, yeah, but I, I mean, I certainly, you know, I've worked with so many kids and I've worked in community settings, done lots of teaching. And yeah, you know, in those, set, you know, those times you don't swear. And I very much, I would just go, oh, boom, and the kids <laughs> would love it. And, um, <laughs> but, and but there was, there's something very freeing. And I, I have to say this comes from Gemma Gilbert, who were both, we both have worked with who is very much like I swear and that's if you're not happy with that then deal with it and for me it was this thing of oh I could swear more because every time I swore I felt bad mm. I felt like it was a bad thing to do and it was not very ladylike and people would think bad of me and now I'm like it's a really great word mm -hmm. like, fuck is a really great mm. word and I'm not going to say it but I'm also <laughs> you know I really like the C word and I don't use, uh, that's one word I don't use out, but I don't use it because I think actually I want to reclaim it. You know, Ella, this is like, this is the thing that I have been talking about for, when I was um, <laughs> teaching um, years ago. This is like 20 years ago. There's a playwright called Howard Barker and he swears a lot and uses the C word a lot in his. Yeah. In, and, and it's a funny one to teach sort of 17 and 18 year olds yeah. right and I ended up like I might lose listeners when I say this but you know oh, it is what it is yeah. but I ended up getting them to stand on chairs and shout the word out over and over because I wanted oh. to just l let lose its power a bit in terms yes. of the ultimate swear word is yes. something from a woman is a yes, part of a that's woman it. that's it like, it's like 
you call someone that, that and it's supposed to be an insult. I'm like, mine's great. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> like if someone was to call me that, I'd be like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Men really love it. My babies were born through it. It gives me pleasure. Yeah. Great, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do it, Ella. Let's collaborate. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I didn't expect it to go there today. That's no, for not sure. Um, right. Okay. We, I have taken up so much of your time. How can people find out about you? Hear your because we haven't even talked about your beautiful music either, and how important oh. music is. But how can people listen to it and and get in touch with you? Okay, so my website is ellajarmanpinto.com and uh, I'm the only one of me with my name. So Google me and I'm there. You might get my sister, who is also amazing, Bryony Jarman Pinto, and (laughs) you can hear her music, which is very different from mine and is absolutely glorious. Um, uh, But yeah, there's only two of us. So (laughs) Um, uh, No, there aren't now. Oh, no, there are more of us. Both of us are given our children our surnames. So we now have three children of the next generation with our surname, which is wonderful. So, um, yeah, so it's not just two German Pintos <laughs> in the world. There are five. Uh, <laughs> it's starting a legacy. Everything's on my website. You can listen to my music. You can buy my scores if you're a musician. Uh, I do a lot of, um, do, I have a lot of songs up there, uh, classical songs. I have other classical stuff up there as well. So you can buy my scores. You can also have a look at uh, a little campaign that I'm starting, which is small at the moment, just me at the moment, but it will, I'm thinking about how I'm going to get it bigger, which is hashtag write us into history. And it's about getting music scores of composers who represent a true intersection of society into academic music libraries so that the future composers they can basically see parts, see themselves mm. and have those role models in the library. So they're not having to buy the scores. They're not having to, you know, find people. They're just there. And that also means that legacy continues as time goes on. We have loads of female composers throughout history. We have lots of black composers throughout history. They've all been whitewashed, just whitewashed, male-washed, written out of history. So this campaign is about writing us into it, about getting the people who are composing now into academic libraries so that they can be listened to and they can be played and performed and become part of the musical canon that's something I'm really passionate about at the moment Mm. so academic music libraries if you're a librarian or a music tutor or a music professor you can buy my score from there and I've got 10 hard copies currently of the most current print run left and you can also see my stuff that I've done for Norman TV, massive promotion going on Go here. For it. Um, Go for yeah, it. We're listen to all my music up. there. Come on. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to all my music there as well. So my website is basically me. It's got everything yeah. there, and I'm also on Instagram. I'm on Facebook, and I've got a mailing list as well. You could sign up for on my website. Amazing. And get in touch. I'm love. Really love to hear from people. Amazing. So, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. I really love this conversation and I can't wait to share it with everybody. This was such a good, this is just, yeah, this is lovely. Great start to a Monday. (laughs) Thanks, Anna. Take care. All right, take care. Thanks so much to Ella Jarman Pinto for sharing with us her thoughts and her thinking and her work and for also 
having one of the best laughs around. Laughter is so important, isn't it? Please do check out Ella's work and don't forget us on your podcast platform. Please do leave us a review or a star rating or mention us, mention the podcast on your social media. I really do treasure and love any feedback or mentions that we get. You can find me pretty much everywhere on at Sarah Fox Coach. And for more tips, ideas and thoughts and a weekly reminder that you matter too, you can sign up to my newsletter. Take very good Good care. care.